honor of Valentine's Day coming up. Uh, the title of my sermon today is called Love That Lasts. And uh, this is not a sermon on marriage or dating, so don't, don't, don't let me lose you here, even though that's part of it. But uh, we're actually having a, uh, a marriage Saturday in two weeks. You saw the video for that. Uh, really excited about it. Uh, I hope you'll sign up for that. If you're married or engaged, you're welcome to come to that. Uh, we're going to be being taught by video uh, by John and Lisa Bevere, wonderful, incredible communicators. It's going to be a really great day, so I hope you'll come out for that. Um, and then just as a side note, next Sunday, week from today, actually, uh, Tommy Tenney is going to be here with us. He's a, he's a friend of New Hope, and he likes to come back here, and we like to have him. And he's, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's the one that wrote God Chasers. It was a wildly popular book uh, a little while back, and uh, he's going to be sharing here with us next week. So I hope you'll come out for that too. So uh, let me jump in. I want to give you my first verse for the day, and it's out of Matthew 7. These are the words of Jesus. This is after, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, what's called the Beatitudes, where he gave us this whole list of things, uh, of principles to live by. He follows it up by saying this in verses 24 to 27. It says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Can anybody say amen to that? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who hears, who, who built his house, or I'm sorry, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. How many of you would rather be that first guy than that second guy? Amen. Would you, would you pray with me as we get into the message? Just uh, pray with me for a second. God, I just thank you so much for this time we have today. Lord, you are, you are so amazing. We thank you that you're here with us. God, we, we just ask today that your word would, would do its work in our heart. God, open our hearts to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. I pray that you would make each of us today, as we leave this place, that we would, we would know how to have love that lasts better than we did before. And God, that you and you alone would receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. You're the only one worth it. We ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. So, love. Love is a topic that carries a lot of weight in our culture, doesn't it? Especially around the holidays like Valentine's Day. I know it's a lot of people wearing red today. I got my little bit of red on. And uh, we, we talk about love this month. This is the month of love. I guess that means you don't have to love the other 11 months. I don't know. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. You need to love every month. But we, we focus a lot on love, especially this month. And uh, it's such a powerful word. It's such a powerful thing because literally every person wants to be loved, wants to feel like they are needed and they're appreciated and they're loved. There's not one person that's ever been born that's exempt from that. We all want to, uh, the smallest baby wants to be loved, wants to be cared for and loved on. So we all have that love. And so uh, I guess I'm, I'm here to tell you today that it, it's okay that you wanna be loved. That's something that God gave you because God is a God of love. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is love. So he created it. So it's okay for us to want that. So feel free to want to have that feeling of love. Now, what, what happens, I think, a lot of times in our life is we, we mischaracterize what love really is, okay? Uh, the enemy has done a great job of distorting what love is in our culture today. And a lot of times we can get caught up in, in all the things that love is not, and I'm gonna get to that in a minute. But the fact is the origin of love comes from God, and that's a good thing. And love is... Uh, exemplified, it's experienced through relationship. You have to have, there has to be two people involved to have real love. Now I know some of you would say, hey, I know people, all they need is a mirror, 
because they love themselves so much. But, uh, but that's not real love. That's not, that's not what we're talking about today. There has to be two people to really have love and to have that, to have, and you have to be in relationship, which, which means that it, we put a lot of stress on relationships because of the fact that you can't have love without them. And so that tells me that we should be really careful about who we're in relationship with, amen? We should, we should be careful about that, whether you're five years old or 105, we should be careful about who we're in relationship with. In fact, they say that the five people that you're closest to in your life reflect your life, reflect who you are. So think about that for a minute. The five people in your life that are closest to you actually reflect your life. So for me, if that means, okay, uh, for my wife, that, that, that reflects my life. It makes me look like a genius because I married her, right? Yeah, she's sitting right here in the front row. That's a good suck up. Happy Valentine's Day, honey, that's fine. Um, now, on the other hand, I have three kids and if my life re- reflects them, then that means I leave the lights on in the house and I want to eat macaroni and cheese every day and I break my phone every few weeks. So, um, but I don't think that's really what they're talking about. Uh, but, but relationships actually affect our life in a lot of ways. Relationships can make you better or they can make you worse. And I think it's important that we choose the relationships that will actually make us better. The issue is that the relationship that's most important that we should be putting the most emphasis on and the most focus on in our life is the one we neglect so often. And that's obviously our relationship with Jesus. How I many you know he wants, to, he's not some God that's off in the cosmos somewhere. He's a personal God that wants to have a relationship with you and with me every day, every day. That's what he wants. In fact, not only does he want it, he actually commands it in our life. As a follower of Jesus, he says, I want to be in a relationship with you. Not only do I want to be in a relationship with you, he says, I want to be first. I want to be number one. And he's adamant about it. I'm going to read it in uh, Matthew 10. These are the words of Jesus as well. In the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, why does Jesus say that? He's not saying here, if you, if you don't love me more than everybody else in your life, that you can't be a Christian. That's not what he's saying here. There's a lot of Christians that actually don't put Jesus first. Okay, it, it, this isn't a salvation thing. What he's saying is, and, and you could expand that. You could say, if you love your husband or wife more than me, if you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend more than me, you're not worthy of me. If there's anything you love more than me, you're not worthy of me. Why does he say this? It's not because he's some possessive, insecure, needy jerk, right? That's not our Jesus. You know, we, we, we know those people. You may, you may have a friend that, you know, if you choose on a Friday night to go out with a different friend other than that friend, you have to have this whole uh, training session with this friend you're going out with and saying like, okay, you know, you can't post anything on Facebook. You can't post on Instagram. Tw- you can't tweet it. You can't, you can't Snapchat it. You can't do anything. You can't text anybody. You can't take any pictures. You can, we cannot let this person know that you and I are hanging out tonight because if you do, I'm gonna have to move, right? Anybody here have a friend or know somebody like that? Yep. Well, let me just tell you, if you don't have a friend like that, you might be that friend. (laughs) You just might want to take inventory and see if that's you or not. But that's not who Jesus is. He's not the jealous friend that doesn't want you to have any other friends because he just wants to be with you all the time. Jesus has the capacity to be with all of us at the same time. The reason he does it is because as as a Bible-believing church, what we believe in church is that if we will focus first on our relationship with him, if we will give him first place in our life, not just, 
Yes, we get saved because, you know, we don't want to go to hell and we understand that we're sinners and we need his forgiveness. That's a good thing. But he says, I want to go beyond that. I want to be first in your life. It's not because he's possessive and jealous, but it's because if we will put him first in our life and give him first place and love him more than everybody else, he will actually help our other relationships to be better. Amen. That's who he is. He says, I don't, want to, I don't want all of your attention and time. I don't want your first because I just think I need it. I want your first because you need it. And if you'll give it to me, I will make all these other relationships in your life better. I will give you the tools to be able to be that person that could be somebody in a relationship that's healthy, fruitful, and positive, and a blessing to those in your life. That's why he wants to be first in our life. That's why he says, you're not worthy of me if you put anybody before me. He's saying, you just don't understand, son. If you put me first, you'll see that I'll help you in these other places here. But we have to be willing to do that. So I want to ask you today, what is love? What is love? I know it's a very broad term. You know, that, that term has been hijacked in our society today. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the enemy has taken it and made all kinds of things out of it. The, the term love in our society has become more about sex. It's become more about like getting what you can and getting what you want out of a relationship. It feels good to be in that relationship. You should go ahead and do it. And uh, it, it's more about a feeling. It's more about a selfish type of feeling of how I feel in this situation. We talk about falling in love. Let me tell you, falling in love, that term is the most, one of the most ridiculous terms that's ever been coined in the history of the world because it's completely contrary to the word of God and how God designed us for love. You don't fall into, that, that, that implies that love is just nothing but an emotion. You know, it's a feeling that we get. It's that, oh, my heart pounds so hard when, when that person comes in the room. Boy, that's, that's love there. Let me tell you, that's not love. That's not what it's supposed to be. That's the reason, that, that definition of love is the reason that someone can leave their spouse for somebody else because they're like, well, I just couldn't help it. You know, I didn't really want this to happen, but we just fell in love and this is my soulmate. And so, you know, I'm just gonna have to leave you and be with this person because I didn't mean for it to happen. It just happened because we fell into love. It's like you tripped into it somehow, you know? Or it's how a, a, a battered and abused woman can stand there and talk to a policeman with bruises all over her face saying, I know he loves me. I know he loves me. Let me tell you something, that's not love. That's a feeling, that's an emotion. That's not love. So we have to define love based on what the word of God says about love. That's when we can know we can be healthy and we can have love that lasts and when we understand what the word of God says. Because if it's in the word and, the, and, and God's telling us what love is, he's also gonna help us to live love in that way. So let's look at the word. Okay, it's in, uh, it's in 1 Corinthians. This is the greatest apostle ever, Apostle Paul. He wrote two letters to the Corinthian church. And the first one, chapter 13, they call it the love chapter. You probably, most of you know it because we quote it all the time. It's quoted a lot this month too. But there's some, there's a, the definition of love is basically in here. And I'm gonna read verses four through seven to you. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it, do, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's what love is. And let me tell you, I can, you can break it down into three categories of what Paul did here in this passage. The first, the first part, he talks about what love is. He says, love is patient and it's kind. And then he talks about what love is not. How many of you know that sometimes the best way to describe something is to describe what it isn't? He says, love is not envious, it's not boastful, proud, rude, selfish, easily angered, keeps records of wrongs, which, or, or hold a grudge, and love does not delight in evil. 
So those are the things love is not. And then thirdly, he talks about the things that love does. He said, love protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. It perseveres. That means it doesn't bail out when things get tough. Can I get an amen to that? Love is all these things. And we as believers and people are called to love all people. We're called to love everybody. You can't love everybody if love is that emotion because I'm not gonna, my heart's not gonna pound when somebody I barely know walks in the room like it does when my wife walks in the room. It's not like that. And so love has to be more than that emotion, that feeling of falling into this, this oh, it's so great. We're not, we can't see everybody that way, but we're called to love everybody. So we can love them according to Corinthians 13 here because it's about being selfless. See, this, this kind of love that Paul is talking about here is actually called agape. The, the Greeks had four terms for love. We only have one, just love. But the Greeks had four terms. And what he's talking about here is the agape love, which is, it's not necessarily a romantic love. It's actually a selfless giving love. It's like saying, I'm gonna give to you without expecting anything in return. I don't have any, I don't have any, any ulterior motives. I just wanna be a blessing to you. That's what agape love is. And that's what, that's what the apostle Paul here is telling us and how we love. And we are expected to love people, not just the ones where it's easy, not just the ones that you agree with politically, not just the ones that, sh- that like the same teams as you. We're called to love everybody. God puts a premium on it because he loved us so much. You know, most of us in this room know what John 3:16 says, the most quoted verse in all the Bible. And it says, for God so loved the world, and let's personalize it, for God so loved you and me, that he gave his only son so that whoever, that's for all of us, I'm a whoever, you're a whoever, whoever believes in him would not perish, would not die an eternal death, but will actually live an eternal life. That's the standard that God set. And so he expects us to follow that standard. We can't pick and choose the standards of God we wanna follow. He, he wants us to love as he is loved. In fact, if you look at the verses preceding those, those verses four through seven in, in Corinthians 13, you'll see what kind, of, what kind of premium God puts on it. This is a Paul still speaking, but he's, he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses one to three, he says, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. That's how God sees all the stuff we're doing in life if we don't do it with love. He's saying, you can have all the faith in the world. You can have faith to move a mountain. You can, uh, you can talk in tongues. You can talk to angels. You can, be, you can give away everything you have. You can surrender your life, to the, your body to the flames if you do it all, but you don't love. God sees it as a clanging symbol. Now, I've actually asked our drummer, there he is, Corey Ashley's gonna come up. He's gonna give a little demonstration of what a clanging symbol sounds like in God's ears. So, um, in fact, if you, if you have that high-pitched hearing that drives you crazy, you might wanna plug your ears for a minute here because I just wanted him to, to give us an idea of what clanging symbol sounds like uh, to us, let alone to God. So, Corey, uh, at your leisure here, go ahead and give us a little demonstration. Yes, yes. Thank you, Corey. Thank you very much. Give Corey a hand. Anybody enjoy that? 
I didn't. That's the symbol by itself is the most annoying instrument there is. Now, that's what God says. That's what it sounds like to God when we're doing all the things we're doing. If we're just trying to be nice and we're just trying to get through life but, and we're, we're doing the things we think we should do, but we don't do it with love. If we don't do it with that selfless, sacrificial type of love, God says, it sounds like that to me. I don't want, it, I don't want what I do to sound like that to God because if, I, don't, I don't know how long God's gonna put up with that because that's annoying. You know, I want the full band up here with all the instruments and the beautiful vocals and everything going to where it sounds like we think worship's gonna sound in heaven. But he's saying, if you don't love, that's what, that's what all your stuff sounds like to me. And so important that we, we learn what that means and how to love others. So you might say, well, how do we do that? How do we have a love that lasts? How can I be consistent in that? Because yeah, sure, I have moments, you know, where I feel like I'm fairly selfless, but, but honestly, it's a struggle. And so I would ask myself, and I think you would probably ask yourself too, how do I do that? How do I live with that sacrificial love? How do I have a love that lasts? Well, I wanna, I wanna kinda walk you through this because I believe that to have love in that way requires that we have to know who we are in Jesus. We have to find our identity in him. You can, you can use the term called being complete. So that would be the question, how can I be complete? Because you know, none of us are born complete. None of us are complete. We're born into sin. Just by being born, you're born with brokenness. You're born with uh, holes in your heart. You're born with, with a need to feel complete, you're, with, a, with a need to feel needed. Um, and we're, and we, because, of, because of the sin nature of this world, the fact that this is a fallen world we live in, it's impossible for us to be perfect, right? And so we're all, we're all born with this brokenness in us. And what we tend to do sometimes is we try to find places and try to find ways to heal that brokenness or mend that brokenness or fill those holes in our life. And so oftentimes we look for the wrong things. Yeah. You know, sometimes we, want, we try to use stuff to fill those holes in our life, yeah. whether it's a, a job or money or a house or cars or cell phones or um, all the other stuff that we could have in our life to try to fill that void. And we find out pretty quickly that that's a pretty empty feeling. You know, some of the people with some of the most stuff in our world are some of the most miserable people in the world too. So we know that that's not the answer. But some of us may try to fill that void with people, with relationships. We, we don't feel complete. And so we go, we, we pursue relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's having a different boyfriend or girlfriend every few months or always having to be with somebody or putting, even putting that pressure on a spouse to try to make you feel complete. And we find out that that's really not working either. I want to hear, I'm here to tell you today that no person on this earth can make you complete. Nobody on this earth can make you complete. The only person that can make you complete is Jesus. And what happens is when we try to find that completeness and that identity from other people, what we're doing is we're putting unrealistic expectations on people. And, and, the, and the people in your life start to feel that pressure of having to, having to meet all those needs, having to be that for you. And what ends up happening is you end up having this if you look at it in the terms of friendships, you know, you have this friend that's just the greatest friend ever and oh, it's, it's just wonderful, this person's great. Within six months, you can't stand them anymore and you move on from them and you move on to this next person. You think, oh, I can't believe I didn't have this friend before and they're the greatest thing ever and after six months, you're tired of them or they just abandoned you and they ghost you on the phone and whatever. And you move on to the next person. What's, what's going on there is that you're trying to, you're, we're putting those unrealistic expectations on people and, and trying to find that completeness and that oneness and that healing and that, the, the, the filling the holes in our life with people 
and it just doesn't work. And it's not meant to work that way. God's the only one that can really fill those holes for us. No person can ever make you complete. Jerry Maguire is a fraud. Okay? If you don't know that movie, it was from the mid-90s, the Jerry Tom Cruise, and there was a line in the movie that got coined for years and years where he looks at her and says, you complete me. And they're crying and everybody's, you know, that's what I want. And it doesn't exist, church. They, those two people were paid gajillions of dollars to say that and cry. It's not real. Nobody can complete another person. Only God can complete us. And on top of that, becoming a Christian. If you're in this room today and you say, I'm a Christian, I've given my heart and my life to Jesus. That doesn't guarantee that you're gonna be complete, that you're gonna be whole, and then that brokenness is gonna be healed. Because Jesus can only affect the areas in your life that you give him access to. Ooh, that's good. Jesus can only affect the areas you give him access to. If we don't, the areas we don't give him access to, he doesn't have any, any reign there. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't come in and just clean house and storm in and say, it's my way or the highway now. He only comes into areas that we allow him. But if we allow him to come in, he will heal that brokenness in our life. He can heal our relationships. He can make us to where we can have healthy relationships. You know, that, that verse I shared at the very beginning about the man who built his house on the rock. Okay, Jesus wasn't talking specifically about relationships here, but the analogy works and I know it's the heart of God. So I, I'm kind of gonna go there. But, you know, th- there's, there's a, a portion of that scripture that, that can really mess up a lot of Christians because it goes against a lot of Christians' theology. And that is that if you notice there, it says the man that built the house on the rock. Well, the implication there is the man that, that has Jesus as the foundation of his life. He's given his life and he trusts Jesus with his life. It says the winds came, the rains came, the, the streams rose and beat against the house, but it did not fall. It did not fall. Nowhere in there does it say that, oh, if you build your life on Jesus, if he's your foundation and you're, he's your rock and you're trusting him, that all, none of the bad stuff will ever happen to you. He's gonna just make your life better. If you just trust Jesus, everything's gonna go good for you. It doesn't say that. In fact, it says the exact opposite. It says the guy that built his house on the rock still had to deal with the storms. He still had to deal with the stuff that comes into life. You still have to deal with the disappointment in relationships. You still have to deal with the hurt that comes sometimes in relationships. You still have to deal with the insecurities and the, the stuff that can happen. But the beauty is it says that if you will put your trust in him in, in your relationships, you can know that it will not destroy you. It will actually make you better because that's who he is. You know, you may still get some windows busted out. If you're on the beach and you're in a hurricane, you got this house that's getting beat up by the wind and the waves. You may still get some water damage, but if you allow Jesus access into those areas, he comes in and he fixes it. He comes in and he cleans it. He'll put those windows back. They'll be better than they were before. He'll put some new carpet in. He comes in and helps you in those areas, but he doesn't force his way in at all. The Bible tells us Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's asking to come in. He doesn't just bust in. And so in our relationships, we have to be willing to give him access into our life. And some of us would say, you know, like, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to hear God. Like, I don't, I don't really know what he wants. You know, like, I, I just can't really hear his heart in, the, in, in my life. I can't, I can't hear that, you know, I really am his child and that, that I have value because of him and what he's done for me. And I would say, well, maybe you're hard of hearing. Some of us are hard of hearing spiritually. We need a spiritual hearing aid. In fact, I, I heard a, a story of a guy that uh, he'd been married for a while and him and his wife were getting up in years and he noticed that her hearing was getting pretty bad. And uh, he didn't know how to tell her because she was obviously oblivious to it. 
And he just knew it was going to hurt his, her feelings if he told her. So he actually went to his doctor and said, Doc, what do I do? I know her hearing's getting pretty bad, and I'm just not sure what to do. And the doctor said, okay, well, what you can, we first have to figure out how bad it is. So I want you to go home and, and just say something from a distance and it, where she can't see you. And if she doesn't hear you, you move a little closer, and you keep doing it until she can finally hear you. And then come back and tell me, and we'll go from there. He says, oh, okay. So he goes home. And his wife's standing at the kitchen counter preparing dinner. So he's like, oh, I'm in luck. So he, he stands at the doorway to the kitchen. He says, honey, what's for dinner? Nothing. So he takes a couple steps closer. Honey, what's for dinner? Still nothing. He's starting to freak out a little bit now. He gets a little closer. Says, honey, what's for dinner? Still nothing. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, it's worse than I thought. I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't know how I'm gonna break this to her. This is terrible. Finally, he gets up where he's literally right behind her and says, honey, what's for dinner? And finally, she, she turns around and she throws the spatula down on the floor and she says, for the fourth time, chicken. <laughs> Somebody was hard of hearing, but it wasn't that person. Jesus is not hard of hearing, church. Okay, he hears you, he's there with you, he wants to help you, he wants to come into those areas in your life. He wants to show you what your identity is in him and that he's the one that gives you worth, he's the one that gives you value, he's the one that says that you're great and you're part of his family. And before we can fully give ourselves to someone, we have to find our identity in him. Now you may say, well, how do I do that? Like for some of you, you've been a Christian a long time, you understand the whole identity in Christ thing. Some of you may, may say, well, this is a fairly new idea to me. And you could do a whole series just on identity in Jesus. You could talk about it for weeks. But I'm gonna try to just, I'm just gonna give you an overview for just a couple minutes here. But basically, at the end of the day, you have to understand that the reason you have value, the reason that you have worth, the reason that you are health, can be healthy in relationship, the reason that, uh, that you exist and are, are here on this earth is because of him. Basically, Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, but died a sinner's death for you and me. He said, you're worth it. And I'm gonna come and I'm gonna make a way to, to bring relationship back between you and me. And he did all the work, forgives us of our sins, all of our shortcomings. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be good because we're never good enough. And he came. And, and so basically the the person that created the whole universe is madly in love with you and me. And that's what gives us value. That's why we can, we can, if we build our house on the rock, we can take the things that come at us and hit us and not destroy us because we know at the end of the day, our foundation is the rock. Yeah. It's who he is. It's who he says we are. And the Bible has a lot to say about who we are. You know, the apostle Paul in his book to the Ephesians, he actually says that we are his masterpiece. That's a great term. I've never been anybody's masterpiece, but I'm his masterpiece. He says, the Bible says in Genesis that we are created in God's image. We, he created us in his image to have relationship with him. He wanted to share his creation with us and that's why we're here. And he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't love one person more than another. He loves us all. You know, someone said one time, if you were the only person ever born, Jesus would have still came and died on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you and me. And we can find our identity in that. We can find our worth. We can be complete in and of ourselves because we know how he feels about us. 
And when we know that, it doesn't matter what other, what other things may come our way. It doesn't devalue us. Now, it doesn't mean hurts don't come. It doesn't mean that things don't happen in our life, but those things don't destroy us. They can make us better and we can build on it. Please stop allowing society and your culture to set the standard for your value. We can't do it. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved, it's a struggle all the time. There's so many things in our culture that are fighting to, to or, or going after our attention to try to get us to feel our worth through how much money we make or, or who we're friends with or, or our, what our social status is, how many, you know, if you're a middle schooler, how many followers you have on Instagram, you know, whatever it is, there's all kinds of things that try to get in there to make us feel like this is what actually gives you value. When in reality, none of these things give us value. What gives us value is Jesus and what he did for us. So what I wanna do very quickly, and I won't take long on this, is I wanna give three characteristics of a healthy relationship because I believe it'll kind of solidify what I'm talking about today about love that lasts. Because when, when we're healthy, healthy people have healthy relationships, amen? And you can't have healthy relationships if you're not healthy. If you're sick going into a relationship, you're gonna make the relationship sick. So here's three characteristics. The first one is security. There's nothing better than being in a relationship with somebody that's not insecure. Nothing better. Because when you're secure in who you are and who, who you know God's made you to be, you can be secure in a relationship and you can bring that security into a relationship. And it's actually a blessing in the relationship. But if we don't know who we are in Christ, we look to others to actually validate us. That's what I was talking about earlier. You start putting pressure on people, sometimes unknowingly, you start putting pressure on people to actually validate you when really no one can validate you the way you need to be validated. Not permanently. They might make you feel good about yourself for a little while, but they're not gonna validate you permanently. That can only come from God. And I know sometimes it can be hard to trust in relationships, you know, especially if you've been hurt deeply in relationships. In a room this size, there's probably a lot of people that have been hurt badly in relationships. I'm not minimizing that at all. Those are very real. And trust with, between humans is something that, uh, it has to be earned. It has to be built on and built up. You know? But if you're secure, you can learn to trust a lot better than if you're insecure. Because if you're insecure, you, don't, you can't trust anybody. Because you're always looking for, you know, you're always looking for something bad to happen, the other shoe to fall, whatever it is. And you know, Joy and I, we, we, we've been married 18 years now. We, we've had a really great marriage. It's, it's better today than it, than it was last year. And we've built on every year, I feel like. And there's no great hurts from our past. You know, we've, we've definitely had our share of heated fellowship, you know, but those are all been very, pretty much superficial things. You know, for the most part, it's just her not figuring out that she's wrong quick enough, you know. <laughs> Well, there went my compliment I gave her earlier, so. No, actually, it's usually me. Um, but we just, we, we have a good, and we talk about trust and how we, you know, and, and, and trusting each other. And I'll never forget one time she told me, she said, you know, I, I really do trust you about as much as a human can trust another human. But she said, and, I, and this made an impact in my life because she said, but what I trust more is Jesus in you. She said, I trust your relationship with Jesus. I see how much you love him and that helps me to trust you. That builds security. That builds confidence. And so I'm here to tell you today, church, be in relationship with people that love Jesus. Now, are we not supposed to have relationships with people that don't love Jesus? No, we need to, if you are a Christian, you need to have relationships with others because how are they gonna find out if if we don't have a relationship with them? But the people closest to you, the, the people that are pouring into your life and really have an influence, find people that love Jesus to be in relationship with, you know? Uh, one of the things that drew me to, to joy was that I knew she loved Jesus more than she did me. And that means a lot. 
And that's been our prayer for our kids is that they would have friends that, that love Jesus more than them and that they'd eventually marry people that love Jesus more than them. There's, that, that breeds so much security and stability in relationship when we know that, that people love Jesus in that way. And when we are complete in Jesus, the disappointments and failures that come our way don't destroy us, they make us better. Um, I, would, I would say to go along with that, to kind of give the flip side of that, the insecurity that can come in relationships. It is, it is such a strong force. If you've dealt with insecurity, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of us have, most of us have. It's a strong force when we're insecure and it causes us a lot of times to make bad decisions, even in relationships. You know, I, I like to talk to the single people in here, whether you're, whether you're single, never been married or you're single again. The, the danger if we're insecure is to settle. And I'm here to tell you today, to all the single people, single is better than settle. Amen. And it's not close. Amen. It's absolutely not. Marriage is hard work. A good marriage is hard work. And if you settle because, I, because you're insecure, it's a lot harder work. Singleness, it's not something to be cured of, okay? We're, we all go through seasons. And if you're single, enjoy it, celebrate it. If you want to be married, God wants you to be married too. There's no reason to fear or to, to, to walk in that insecurity of feeling like, oh, I've just got to cling to somebody that, that, uh, that comes along because otherwise I'm just going to be single, you know? And we as a church, a, a church at large and as a culture, we need to celebrate that too. I think we put pressure on single people, making them feel like they're less because they're not married. Paul and Jesus both said it's better to be single. So we need to celebrate that with them. All right, the next one is generosity. And I'm running out of time. Generosity in relationship, that, that's something that comes in healthy relationships. And I'm not talking about generosity like, you know, you're giving your money to the people you're in a relationship with, although if you, you know, that may be part of it too. But what I'm talking about is that what Paul talked about in Corinthians there, where it says, you know, where you can be patient in relationship and kind and, and quick to forgive and not holding grudges and uh, um, all those characteristics from 1 Corinthians 13. We can be generous in relationships if we know who we are in Jesus. Right. If we find our identity in Jesus, we can be generous because we aren't getting validated by those people that we're in relationship with. So we're, we're, we, can be gen we can be patient and kind and, and not jealous and not boastful and, and, uh, and all those things because we know that that's not what validates us. You know, our culture today doesn't really work that way. Our culture says, you know, in relationships, you kind of get what you can get from it. And if you got anything left to give, go ahead and give it. But really it's about, if it makes you feel good, makes you happy, you need to go ahead and do it. That's not, that's not the way God has set it up at all. We're to be generous in, in relationships. We're to, we're to not have to worry about always getting our way, you know, to be selfless. That's what, that's what being generous is. And in friendships, you know, being generous where you can, the, the beauty of when you, when, you've, when you get validated by who God says you are and you know that you're found in him, you can genuinely be happy for other people right. in relationship. That's, right. that's a novel thought. Yeah. You know, we can, we can easily be happy for somebody that has less than us, but when somebody gets more than us, it's a little harder to be happy for them, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't say that out loud. No one, you're never gonna say, oh yeah, you know, I'm jealous of this guy because he has a nicer car than me. We don't say it out loud, but we, we deal with it sometimes. Sometimes even with siblings or other family members where we get jealous if they are more successful than us. That's coming from a place of not knowing really who you are in Jesus. It really is. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but that's where it comes from. 
Because when we know who we are, we know our value comes from him. I don't care if you're driving a Mercedes and I'm driving a Honda. Doesn't matter to me. God bless you. I hope you get three of them. And if you got one you don't need, I'll take it. You know? <laughs> but we can genuinely be happy for people that are doing well and, and having things. And you can be happy for somebody that's getting married even though you're single. And you can be happy for somebody that got a promotion even though you wanted it. It doesn't make, you don't just float in the clouds and nothing bothers you anymore, but, it's, but you don't let those things hold you back. You don't let those things make you a lesser person or make you bitter or angry. You know, you still have to deal with stuff. It, it's not like I'm just gonna be happy if somebody else has everything that I want, but I can be happy for them. Amen? So generosity is an aspect of a, of a healthy relationship. And then the last one, this is something I call cultivate and celebrate. Healthy relationships cultivate and celebrate. And with that, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me so I actually do stop here in a minute. I'm gonna ask the, the band to come. And uh, if we have some prayer leaders in here, I'd like to go ahead and have our prayer leaders up here if anybody wants prayer. But uh, before you go, I'm, I'm not quite finished yet. Let me give you this last point. Healthy relationships cultivate and celebrate. Here's the deal. Cultivate, the word, the word means to develop. Okay, so when we are in healthy relationships, we are actually developing each other. Another way to put it is that in healthy relationships, we're actually making each other better. We're making each other better, not worse. I can say without a shadow of a doubt that being in a relationship with my wife has made me a better person. And I hope she would say the same thing about me. I'll ask her after church. But... But good, healthy relationships, we, we develop, we cultivate those relationships and it makes us better. If the relationships that you're in are not making you better, you may have to adjust your thinking. You may have to adjust what's, what's validating you, what's giving you your worth, where you're finding your identity in your life. Because if you're finding your identity in him, your relationship should get better, not worse. Now there's sometimes relationships, they have toxic situations in relationships that require a whole, a whole different set of of uh, approaches and circumstances that we, we can't deal with today. But as a whole, our relationships should be better. And when, when we're relation, relationships are being cultivated and getting better, we can celebrate them. We can celebrate our relationships. We should be able to enjoy relationship. God made us to enjoy relationship, not to, not to fight and fuss all the time and, and be jealous and trying to get the upper hand. That's not God's intention at all. It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to encourage each other. It's meant to be celebrated. And some of you, you don't even know what that looks like. Maybe it's been so long since you've actually been able to celebrate a relationship, whether it's a friendship or somebody in your family or even your spouse or your kids, you haven't been able to celebrate it. I would challenge you today to ask God, to think about and ask God, where is my foundation? Is my, is my house really built on the rock? Am I loving the way Paul said in Corinthians? Am I really doing those things? Because it, the issue might be you. Now, you could, you're only responsible for you. Sometimes you have a relationship with somebody that's just not willing to do those principles and you just do the best you can with it. But for us, we have to make sure in and of ourselves, we're doing everything we can do to be a blessing and to help cultivate relationships and to be generous and to be secure in who God has called us to be. So I'm gonna, we're gonna pray. Um, if you wanna come to the altar and pray, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, there's people up here that will pray with you if you'd like to do that. If you need prayer for for anything, physical, 
financial, emotional, relational. If you don't know Jesus and you wanna, you wanna give your heart to him today, you wanna put your feet on the rock and you don't know how to do it, somebody up here will be happy to pray with you. Or you just come up and pray by yourself. If, you, if, if this message, if, something, if it struck a chord with you and you feel like, I, I definitely haven't been finding my identity in who Jesus says I am. I've been finding it more in this or this or this. I encourage you to just come and, and recommit to Jesus. We have to recommit all the time. You know, it's very, not very often you can make a one-time declaration and you just walk forward from that the rest of your life. There's, we're living in this world and there's pitfalls everywhere. There's potholes everywhere that are trying to pull us away. And sometimes we slip into those potholes. The great thing is with our God, all it takes is just turning around saying, okay, God, sorry about that. Let's, let's keep going this way. I, I went the wrong way for a minute, but I wanna go your way. And so if that's you, you can come up today and you can just do that on your own. You can just declare to him, you can just pray. But I'm gonna pray over all of us because I believe some of us won't come up that really need to be prayed for. So I'm gonna pray for all of us and cover us all in prayer. And then we'll just give you a minute to come to this altar. So if you bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, we love you today. We thank you so much that you love us so much. Thank you that you didn't allow us to just stay in our sin. You didn't just allow us to, to, to be separated from you, but you came and made a way for each and every one of us to know you and to love you. God, I thank you that you've called us to love, to have a love that lasts, and you've given us the tools to do it through your word. And so I pray today, God, that you would help each and every one of us in this room to love as you've called us to love, to put you first, to find our value in what you say we are, to find our identity in you and your love for us first and foremost, God, because we believe that that will affect the relationships around us. So God, we trust you with that. I pray today for any of us that have maybe stumbled away, we've fallen into the potholes and we've, we're, we're trying to find our self-worth in other places, God, that you would help us to just turn our face back to you, to say, God, I want you, I wanna find my worth in you. I want you to help me hear your voice. I don't wanna be spiritually deaf. God, help us to hear you and to know what you think of us so that no matter what hurts come our way, God, we'll be able to use those hurts, they'll make us better, not destroy us. We wanna set our standard of who we are on what you say, not on what our society says, God. And I pray that for every person in here today, Lord. Refresh us, Lord. I pray that you would fill our hearts to overflowing with your love and your love alone. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and amen.